anyway, got a letter from somebody, actually a phone message, and this is what the phone message says. I want to meet up with you. Okay, now if I just had that, I want to meet up with you, but no other information. Say he didn't leave who he was. What could that mean? I want to meet up with you. Say it was from an enemy. I want to meet up with you and I'm going to get you. You know, it does depend on who sent it. What if the message was from a loved one, a close relative? I want to meet up with you and just see how everything's going. So it does matter who sent it and the context or circumstances surrounding it. Say it's, uh, I want to meet up with you. It's from somebody I haven't seen for a long time. And he says that. It could mean something like this. I want to meet up with you, catch up, tell you a little more about my love life. Actually, I got an email like that. Guy wants to meet up with me, tell me that he met somebody in China and he's dating her now. So it does matter who sent the email. Say you, said, you found a message and it says, I want to meet up with you and some, somebody you offended. Maybe it might mean something like this. I want to meet up with you and give you a piece of my mind. See, Or somebody who you don't know. I want to meet up with you. Oops, wrong person. So it does matter. Messages, emails, letters. They're, they're kind of like occasional communications, messages, documents. I want you to think of Colossians like that. It's an occasional document written and sent with a specific purpose in mind. And we're going to continue on looking at what that message was. Now for me, I got that message on my answering machine. I want to meet up with you. It was from a guy who I helped marry many, many years ago. Actually, he wanted to meet up with me to clear up some air. Because see, when we kind of parted ways, we had some conflict. And so we exchanged emails trying to set up a time to meet. Later on, he says, I'd like to meet up with you at a neutral site. And I go, huh? Neutral site? What is that? You know, so we exchanged some more email. And finally, uh, he told me why he wanted to meet up. I just want to apologize. Hmm. I want to meet up with you. It can mean a lot of different things. Context is important. This guy... Long time ago, I helped marry him. You know, it made me feel old because he says, now my kids are graduating from college. Wow. Where did the time go? I had coffee with somebody this past week. And um, when I first met him, he was still in college. In fact, he was the same age as my son. And now he says, I have two kids. One's going to start elementary school soon. That made me feel real old. Old. I'm getting older. It's, not, no, it's no new news. You're getting older too. And you know, as you get older, things happen. One of the things that is happening is some of my parents' friends are passing away. <laughs> some of my own friends, they're dying. They're getting older. That just happens. And it makes me think, what's it mean to be a Christian? What's my life all about? And what has my life been all about? What is life all about? What's it mean to be a Christian in the here and now? Well, Colossians answers that. It says this. Life. It's all about Christ. Christ is the center of it all. That's the message of Colossians. Today we're going to move forward and look at a related topic. 
That's what Lepoptis is this. Center of our growth. See, Christ isn't just the center of us. He's not just the center of it all. But more specifically, he's the center of my life, my walk, my growth. In fact, one of the key passages in Colossians is found in today's uh, Colossians 4, 2, uh, 2, 4 to 15. And you see in your notes, I kind of wrote, and I didn't leave the blanks uh, blank. <laughs> I filled it in for you. So you can just relax and kind of listen up. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. A key verse that kind of summarizes the whole letter of Colossians. He says this, grow. There's a call to grow, a call to walk, a call to live with Christ at the center. He says it this way, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Another version says it this way, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk, live in him. So when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's not the end of things. You're called to walk, to continue in Him, to live in Him. Another way of saying it, to grow in Him. There's a call to grow. Another way of saying it, out of the Good News translation, you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so continue to live as God's people. See, my desire is just that, to help you continue to walk in the Lord. In fact, one of the key verses was from last week when Darren came and shared with you. It's kind of like my vocational goal, if you call it that. See, I'm a pastor, and you've probably heard this all, right? Pastors are paid to be good, but you guys, you're good for nothing, right? Anyway, um, so I'll make sure you're still alive out there. Key verse for why I'm a pastor. This kind of summarizes my purpose in, in being a pastor. Look what it says here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 to 29. And Darren probably shared this with you last week. We proclaim Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, strung with all his energy, which is powerfully working within me, to present everyone complete perfect in Christ. You see, being a pastor, it's not just about making converts, helping people come to know the Lord. It's about making disciples who live in Him, walk in Him continually, and as a result, reproduce themselves in the life of other people. Not just converts, but followers, disciples, who reproduce themselves into the life of other people. So how do we do that? Let's look on and see what Colossians has to say. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 on. Interesting, there's a call to walk in the Lord. And then he goes on to describe what a Christian is. And he uses analogies that most of us can really understand. He uses an analogy of a tree, a building, an education, a river. And one of the things that these all have in common is there's a source, there's a foundation. For instance, he describes a Christian as a tree. He says, so then you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. Continue to live in him. It goes on and he says, rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith that you were taught. 
overflowing with thanksgiving. One of the descriptions he uses is this idea from a tree. As Christians, we are rooted. That means as a, as a seed, that's what I get this image of, as a seed is planted in the ground, it grows downward as well as upward. Downward as has roots. That's a description of us. That when somebody puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they're rooted in Christ. You don't need new soil. You don't need to be transplanted anyplace else. You're in the right place. So he says, where you are, grow from there. That's the description of the Christian. A Christian is also said to be built up in him. That's like a building with a strong foundation. As a believer, you have the right foundation. It's Jesus Christ. He's the rock. So what he's saying as a Christian now, build on that strong foundation that you already have. He says, strengthen in the faith as you were taught. Epaphras, one of the Colossians, had started a church there in Colossae. He taught them sound doctrine. A Christian is one who continues on in what he believes. He understands it more deeply and he grows into it and he lives it out. He grows. Lastly, a description of somebody who's walking, living, who's growing up, he's overflowing with thanksgiving. He's a river. And I get this picture of a, a river overflowing its banks. That's a Christian. And he's overflowing with what? Gratitude. He's thankful. One of the characteristics of a Christian is one who is able to give thanks. I like to teach my kids to be thankful. It's not just for them to have manners. And I know you can teach a kid to say thanks and he can do like this. Thanks. You know, not really mean it. I mean, some people can do that. You know, thanks. But is it coming from his heart? Is he just mouthing words off, you know? You know, some, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I try to teach my kid by saying, oh, you're welcome. And then, oh, thank you. You do that, some of you parents? No. Sharon, you do that. I know you do that. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Got you there. Thankfulness. Why is it so important that Christians be thankful? One of the ways that we express being rooted, built on a foundation, understanding doctrine, is to give thanks to the Lord. See, we live in a society that's all about give me, give me, give me, taking, taking. When you give thanks, you're actually giving thanks to the Lord. You're appreciating appreciating what you have. It's a demonstration of our faith. And oftentimes, it does change you. I don't know about you, but sometimes I go into meeting that, if I can make confession, Dave, plug your ears. Yeah, I can go into a meeting, and I'm not really excited about going into that meeting, you know. Maybe Dave's more spiritual. And every time you go to a meeting, Dave's smiling, and I'm ready to go into that meeting, but I'm not like that. Sometimes I go, oh, man, I got another meeting this day. And, and sometimes I really have to change my attitude. One of the ways that has helped me to change my attitude, to give thanks. Changes your whole perspective. To thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here. Thank you, Lord, I'm still alive. Thank you, Lord, that you called me to serve you. Thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven all my sins. And it changes my whole perspective. So when I'm going into that meeting, I'm going in with a much different perspective. I'm trusting God, and I have a joyful spirit. Imagine if I went into that, oh man, I got me this meeting. Yeah, I can be real grumpy and very negative and thinking all the time, 
what can I do to put somebody else down? But when you change that perspective, when you give thanks, you're trusting God. A characteristic of a person that's growing, walking, and living in Christ, he is thankful. Now, as you grow, there's going to be an obstacle. One main obstacle found in Colossians is false teaching. An obstacle to growth. Look at verse 8. So he's going along and describing what growth is all about. And it, it kind of takes a detour. He says this. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, the basic principles of this world, rather than according to Christ. So he says one of the obstacles to growth, false teaching. Actually, it's not false teaching. It's us believing in false teaching. You see, there's somebody out there trying to trip you up. There's an enemy out there that's trying to get you off of that foundation, trying to dam up the river, trying to keep you from growing. In the city of Colossae, there was false doctrine being thrown around. He's warning them, be careful. Be careful. In fact, oftentimes, false doctrine looks real good. I mean, look at this website. Doesn't it look pretty nice? Snazzy? It's kind of a... I can't read it all, but... But it looks very interesting to me. Now, what website is this? Can you tell? I did a, a Google search on Gnosticism. This is the website I came up with. Interesting, huh? It still exists. Don't think it just exi- existed 2,000 years ago. Even today, there's Gnostic philosophy. Now, the problem with wrong doctrine or philosophy is it looks good. And oftentimes, it sounds good. only problem is it's going to lead you astray. So the Bible warns us, be careful. Be alert. Watch out. Don't let anybody take you captive or a prisoner to some other false teaching. In fact, an obstacle to growth is just what I'm saying. Believing and following false teaching. Actually, it's not the false teaching itself that's going to trip you up. It's you or I believing or following in that false teaching. How do you come overcome false teaching? Know what the truth is. Know what you believe in. Look at verse 9. This is the truth of the matter. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. You get that? All of God and all that He's about is found in Jesus Christ. We looked at that two weeks ago. And I think um, either Darren, Kurt, or Dave talked about that back in chapter 1. That all the fullness of Christ, of God, lived in Christ when he was incarnate here on earth. Now remember, the Gnostic philosophy said, hey, matter is evil. Everything in this world is bad. Spirit is good. Therefore, spirit can't enter in to this world because once it enters in, it's polluted by evil. The Bible denies that teaching and clearly says this. 
all the fullness of God came down and existed in Jesus when he was here on earth. And that's the teaching. He's refuting. It goes on to say in verse 10, And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. So if all the fullness of deity dwells in Christ, and Christ dwells in us, we're full. We're complete. We're satisfied. Therefore, we don't, long, we don't need to search for anything else because we have all that we need. Here's a basis of growth. Basis of growth. Basis of growth is this. Jesus and what he's done. That's kind of like a good Sunday school answer, huh? You know, you're in Sunday school and the, all, the answer is always, it's Jesus. <laughs> it's Jesus. And in some ways, that's the truth here. The basis of our Christian growth, it's Jesus. As you receive Christ Jesus, the, the Lord, so walk in Him and live in Him. Continue in Him. So He's not just the basis of us being saved. He's also the basis of our Christian life, our walk and our growth. Therefore, continue on in Him. See what He has done. All the fullness of deity dwells in Him. We've been given fullness in Christ who is ahead over every power and authority. We have Christ in us. We're complete. It doesn't mean, though, that complete means perfect. It's kind of like a puzzle. We've been given all the puzzle pieces. Growth and the walk is putting that puzzle all together. It's kind of like a baby, as we see up here in front. It has all the moving parts. She has everything that she needs to grow. She's complete as a baby. But that doesn't mean it stops there. You continue to mature and grow. And hopefully one day, she'll be running around and Dave and Becky will be running after them the rest of their life. Sorry, just a little warning there. Growth. That's what Christian, Christian growth is all about. Us centered in on Christ. Look what Christ has done. In fact, the rest of this passage, it kind of illustrates what Christ has done to us. And based on what Christ has done for us and to us and in us, we are to grow. Here are some important truths that you need to know. And he uses analogies that the Colossians would have understood real clearly. They understood ceremonies. To the ceremony he uses is circumcision and baptism. In fact, this is what he says, what Christ has done. And he uses an illustration here. Okay. He says this, In Christ you have been circumcised. Look at verse 11. In Him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Now there's a word you use every day in your life. Circumcision, huh? I don't know. When was the last time you used that word? Nobody's ever used it, maybe. Uh, let me give you a, just, just a brief physical circumcision. This is what it's all about. It's cutting away of flesh, man's uncleanness. It's done as an outward sign of one's participation in, in Israel's covenant with God. So this is kind of like Old Testament, New Testament type thing. This is what it represented. 
Circumcision was done by human hands in physical circumcision. It was done on an external organ. It was physical. The problem is, the act itself had no spiritual help in conquering sin. What Paul is alluding to is a spiritual circumcision that happens when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. It's a cutting away of flesh, yes. But this flesh is the sinful nature. That part of us that was hostile to God. It's an inward sign. It's a circumcision of the heart. It helps us to identify, be identified with Christ. God himself does this. It's done on an external organ, the heart, internal organ, the heart. And actually, it's done on the whole body. Because part of us, that part of me that was hostile to God, he took it away. It's spiritual, and it helps me to overcome sin. In Christ, we were circumcised. I was, I was thinking on this, and I was trying to bring it home to you and me. And I was thinking of my own life. You see, I went to high school just down the street here at Branham High School. And if you saw me as a high school student, you probably would never have dreamed of me being a pastor one day. I never dreamed of it. I mean, I wasn't a very nice person. I wasn't a very outgoing person. You know how they have that thing, who's who? You ever heard of that, who's who, in high school? I was on that list of who wasn't. I mean, I was just a nobody at school. I mean, you would not even know I existed. So I would never have thought I would have been anybody. Uh, I was a little rebellious. I was a kind of a non-conformist type person. I would never have thought or dreamed one day I'd be standing up here in front of you, sharing just down the street from where I went to high school. But see, something happened to me. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I had a circumcision of my heart. That thing that was hostile to God, that prevented me from experiencing God, He cut away the spiritual circumcision. And that's what happened to every one of us here who put our faith in Jesus. A circumcision in Christ. Here's something else he did. It's the basis of our growth. Not only were we circumcised in Christ, it goes on to say in the next verse, verse 12, that he raised us in Christ. Look at verse 12. Yes, circumcised, circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead, we were also raised from the dead. When you put your faith in Christ, you're also, in a way, baptized in Christ. Now, baptism itself doesn't save somebody. Not the ceremony. What scripture you're using here is that analogy of baptism to say, you were spiritually baptized. Now, physical baptism is a symbol of what happens to you in spiritual baptism. Let me try to explain this this way. When somebody puts their faith in Jesus, in a spiritual sense, he's united with Christ. And so when Christ died and was buried, so as believers, we also were buried. We died to that old sin nature. That's illustrated when you were baptized, when you go down into the water. Ah, but you don't just stay down in the water. I mean, sometimes I offend some kids, you know, if you're not good, I'm going to hold you down there for a longer time. You know, make sure you're cleaner. Well, that doesn't really make sense. 
But in baptism, you're also raised up with Christ. You're given life. That's you and I. That's a beautiful picture of what happens to us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Circumcised in Christ, we're also buried, baptized in Him, but also raised up. And so he says, as a result of being raised up, live, grow, walk in Christ. Live in Christ. Because you have that strong foundation. You're rooted in Him. So grow. Buried, raised, made alive. We're also made alive in Christ. And it's kind of hard to read just one verse, but let me read, kind of go backwards. Having been buried with Him in baptism, raised with Him through your faith and the power of God who raised Him from the dead. When you are dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, look what it says that God did. He also made you alive with Christ. You get all these things in Christ? We're circumcised in Christ. In Christ we're raised. We're also made alive in Him. Look how it described just before. We were dead in our sins. And in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, this is what God did for us. He brought us back to life. Spiritually dead, put your faith in Christ spiritually alive. What a beautiful picture of what we are today. We're alive. Here's one. We're also freed from the law in Christ. Starting with verse 13, let me read on. And when you were dead in your sins in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. Having canceled out the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us, He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Now I'll read verse 13 and verse 14 together and it's a little hard to understand right off the back. Let me try to describe to you what happened when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You see, there was a standard. The Old Testament standard. It was kind of like up here. It said, do this, don't do this. Here's a bunch of regulations that you are to keep. This is where we come in. Maybe some of us a little better. Uh, some of us, when you measure us against the standard, down here. That area between the two, and this is my explanation of it, it's kind of like a certificate of debt. It's kind of like how we fall short. You know, and Here's the Mosaic Law, the Old Testament. This is where we fall short. This certificate of debt. And it's like, what, this is what Jesus did. He took that where we fall short. And each of us probably has our own certificate kind of a list of how we fall short. Maybe Steve's is a little shorter, mine's a little longer, maybe somebody else is much longer. Uh, whatever. What Jesus is, when he took that debt, which was against us and opposed to us, it was against us and opposed to us in that it stood in our way and meeting up to the standards. Took it and he nailed it to the cross with Jesus. He kind of fulfilled it Actually, he rubbed it out, canceled it. That's what Jesus did. And in that way, we are freed from the law because Jesus fulfilled it for us. 
And when we put our faith in Jesus, in a way, it's fulfilled. What a beautiful picture of us. Now, that doesn't mean that you can go out and do anything you want, by the way, that we're freed from the law. It means we live a life that not just fulfills the law even now today, but it's above it. Freed from the law. It's a beautiful picture of you and I. Look what it says at the beginning of this verse. Actually, it's 13b. He forgave us most of our sins. I don't know about you, but I see the word all. And you, the kind of experience all that forgiveness is all about. We, we need to confess whenever we are made aware of sin. But realize that in Christ, He forgave us all of our sins. And I like to tell people that means past, present, and future. Now, don't let that be a license to go out and do anything you want. That's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to free us to live the way Christ wanted us to live. Freedom in Christ. Freed from the law in Christ. Therefore, you don't have to fulfill all the Old Testament laws, especially the dietary laws, because in Christ, it's been fulfilled. Now, true, we still want to live according to it, because this is God's will. But we live according to it, not to gain salvation or say to God, hey, God, look, I'm, still, I'm a good person. I can live all these things out. But you live out because you love the Lord, not to gain favor from Him. Basis of growth... The fact that Christ did a lot for us already. Grow in that. We're circumcised in Christ, raised in Christ, made alive in Christ, freed from the law, all in Christ. Isn't that amazing? It's an amazing thing to really think and grasp what we are all about as Christians. Now, a little later on, next week, we're going to talk about legalism. Because some people will try to tell you, listen, being a Christian, that's great. And you put your faith in Christ, but there's more to it. Something else you need to do. And, and yes, we need to grow in Christ. But some people are trying to add on, oh, you need to take these laws and do this and this and this. And I remember when I was a at, at, uh, college student, there's this area on my campus that I went to called Sprawl Plaza or Sather Gate. I went to Berkeley. Okay, I confess, I went to Berkeley. And you walk on campus, and you got to realize, I just graduated from high school down the street here, and all of a sudden I'm plopped right into campus. And there's this one area called Sprawl Plaza where there's all kinds of signs and advertisements. There's a bunch of tables and everything that you can think of under the sun. I mean, there was the bubble lady who walked around blowing bubbles. You know, don't know why. That's all she did all day long. There was Holy Hubert. When people walked by, he'd say, you devil baby, and smile, you know, pointing at everybody. He was a resident preacher. There's also the guy who's selling moon plots on the moon. Now, go figure that. It's Berkeley. And I'm there as a college student, fresh out of Branham High School, walking there. And, and there's this one sign that says, Get more spiritual enlightenment. And, you know, I walked by there many times, and it made me think, Am I missing something? Is there more to spiritual life than this? I mean, this sign says, you know, spiritual enlightenment. Come to the next... TM meeting. There's philosophies out there that are trying to promise you something else. And oftentimes these philosophies have said, yes, believe in Jesus Christ. Here's something else you need to do. 
looked at this video the other day. I mean, doesn't it look nice? Finding faith in Christ. And it, it really is actually very interesting. It says, His life was like no other. His divine mission and perfect love brings the blessings of heaven today, just as surely as when he walked the earth. Ponder these spiritual, scriptural events that you too may believe in him and have everlasting life. And doesn't that sound exactly what we teach? Very clear. But you look on down, and I'm not trying to slam on any one group, but it does say at the bottom of it, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Philosophies, they look good, but they're man-made, not Christ-made. They're not centered on Him. You need to be aware, because somebody is trying to keep you from growing. Someone's trying to dam up your river. Someone's trying to knock you off your foundation. Someone's trying to get you to go from being rooted here to another soil. And some of you are going to fall victim to this. I'm just here to warn you, because that's what Scripture warns us about. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. Same idea. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. So be careful. Be aware. Be alert. Let me read to you a few other interesting um, things before I close. Here's an interesting saying. Kindness is the greatest wisdom. That does not sound good. Here's another one. Politeness of the mind is to have delicate thoughts. Doesn't that sound good too? Huh? If you wish to, you will have an opportunity. What? Your lover will be true to you. Huh? You know where I got all those? Fortune cookies. <laughs> and some of us are looking into these type of things. My warning to you is this. Stay away from horoscopes, Ouija boards, astrological charts, anything that has to do with zodiac. These are of the world, elementary principles of the world. Unfortunately, I find Christians dabbling in these things. All the fullness is in who? Christ. We are to grow in Christ just as we put our faith in Christ. So grow in that. Don't try to find something else because it isn't. It might sound good, but it will lead you astray. Last one. Here's something else. We're also triumphant in Christ. Verse 15 kind of summarizes it all. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Does a devil exist? Yeah. Is there a Satan? Yes. Is there spiritual powers? You better believe it. But we don't need to fear it. We don't need to uh, be afraid of them. Because in Christ, who overcame and triumphed over them, we also in Christ have the victory. So grow in Him. Live in Him. Walk in Him. I um, close this last story. There was a, gosh, just a beautiful girl. Just a great personality, a great heart. And when I was on a Campus Crusade for Christ staff, I ran into her, and um, she wanted to grow. She wanted to be set free and to live 
and experience all that God wanted her to experience. The only problem was she never felt that God forgave her. It's kind of like she was tethered to an event in the past and she always felt, God can't forgive me for that. God can't, you know, um, relieve me of that sin. And so she was always filled with these guilt feelings and she always felt like she can only experience God's second best. And so whenever I talked to her, she'd have these repeating thoughts and thoughts and thoughts. And, and I don't know if she ever got freed from it, Here's what Scripture has to say. He forgave us all our sins. Forgave us all our sins. Christ at the center of it all. One thing He's done is He's forgiven us all our sins. And I hope you can claim that promise today as you go out from here. Let me close us in prayer. Father, thank you again for your word, for teaching us, reminding us what you've done for us. You freed us, not just from the law, but from our sins to grow in you and walk in you. Help my brothers and sisters experience that as we learn to live lives of thanksgiving, also as we learn to grow in you. Thank you again for teaching us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.